Welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Ballard, your host of The Adaptive Executive. And today I have a very special guest, Tel Ganson. And he is, uh, Tel, here I got you. He is the managing director of Kaba Innovations, the founder and executive producer of Kaba Films. And he's also the chairman and the board of Kaba. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur, a business leader, a film producer, a distributor, and a philanthropist. Uh, Tel, thank you for coming on our show today. Glad to be with you, uh, Greg. So, tell you have a very full life of work. You've you've got a lot of su success you've built. You have an international company. You work with startups and innovators. Kind of, would you share with us your journey of how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So, so Greg, passion for cars brought me to Detroit uh, from India uh, when I was. Actually, I turned 21 when I got into the U.S. Uh, originally, I went to Oklahoma State University for four months. Uh, don't ask me how I went there, but I did uh, in a place called Stillwater. From there, I came to Detroit uh, to pursue uh, my journey into automotive. I finished my master's, then started working for Chrysler Corporation. So I realized my dream, uh, working for the big three at the time. And then uh, from there, from a corporate uh, you know, experience, then, you know, 13 years into corporate ex uh, uh, experience, then I plunged into entrepreneurship. I did that for over 12 years. And then from there on, I started pursuing other ventures. So that kind of, uh, you know, brings my journey to a full circle from coming from India all the way here, pursuing corporate entrepreneurship, now a serial entrepreneur. So I want to click on this this entrepreneurship life that you've been leading. And can you tell me what has, what has it been like for you to be an entrepreneur? Like what has that enabled you to do? How has that brought, you know, allowed you to express yourself um, as a person and, and the values that you have? Yeah. So excellent question, Greg. I mean, you know, when I used to work at a bigger corporation like Chrysler, I always felt is, is what I'm doing, does it, how do I know whatever I'm doing is making a change? You know, you're mm -hmm. working on a small thing. You don't even know what's going on. Somebody XYZ does it and then it goes into the car. Uh, so I, 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 I always wanted to do something that I can touch and feel. And uh, this entrepreneurship is so powerful that obviously it, it's a risk and reward, right? And if you don't do it right, you'll be on the street. But if you do it right, it is so rewarding. Uh, and and, and then whatever you do, you can see the impact it makes on other people's life, you know, through the paycheck, through the economic development to the region that you operate the company on. And you start up a company and, and it, nothing there is just you are seeding it. And then you start growing it. And then whatever you visualize, when you when you see that it is happening, the fulfillment that you get out of that, I don't think anything can match that. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It kind of gives you an adrenaline rush. It's, you know, it's almost like addiction, but it's a good addiction, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you wanted to do mm-hmm. more and more, and then it keeps you going. And then, wow, I, I I went and did this. Okay, what else can I do? Okay, you go and make those things happen. Oh, wow, I can do this. I can do this. It sort of leads into more like a cascading effect. And then, and you keep doing it over a period of time. It almost feels like a snowballing effect. But initially, you got to have, uh, you know, those snow. You know, I'm from Michigan, so I talk about snow all the time. And snow would start build up, right? And it is so small. Effect, yes. Yeah, it's all dust particles, and you won't even know. But once it starts building the momentum, uh, and then with the right team, with the right people, with the right ideas, and the right market, and you time it right, you would over time you would see that snowballing effect. Absolutely. So, for the listeners of this show, tell that maybe working. Um, in a car shop or maybe working wherever they're working, but they're doing that thing that they don't know how it connects. And they, maybe they're thinking, Oh, could I, you know, I couldn't be an entrepreneur. I don't think I could go start a business, even though they kind of really want to, what would you say to them? I mean, first of all, several things I will say to them, Greg, first of all, they all live in America, right? America is the land of entrepreneurship. We are the land of innovation. If you cannot make it here, you cannot make it anywhere because <laughs> this is a fertile ground, right? A lot of people take things for granted. You know, me coming from India, being here, I see the power of entrepreneurship at its finest in this land of dreams and land of opportunity. People may say it's not there, but once people start traveling around the globe, they would see what they got right here in the U.S., right? Number I want to one. click on that. I want to click. I, I do. Most of our listeners are from the U.S., but some of them are not. And so maybe for our U.S. listeners, can you maybe kind of touch on why it's so challenging to be an entrepreneur outside of the U.S. and why it's actually so easy to do it inside the U.S.? Because because entrepreneurship is being encouraged in the U.S., right? Uh, you know, um, like especially if you go into the East Coast and the West Coast, uh, it, it's it's widely accepted as a mainstream career. Mm-hmm. Other places, people are risk averse. Even like like let's let's talk about Greg. If you take outside of U.S., they don't want to take risks because all they know is you work for the government. And safety and security, it's all instilled in the mind, in the subconscious mind. And so they gravitate towards that. And then anything outside of that, including entrepreneurship, is considered more like gambling. Okay. And then you take the same thing and apply within the U.S. itself that we have microcosm of entrepreneurial culture within the U.S. itself. Right. Mm -hmm. You go to Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley, you know, entrepreneurship is alive and well. You go to Austin. It is there. You go to Boston, it is there. But you go into Middletown, America, they are risk averse, mm-hmm. right? And so they want you to go and work for a bigger corporation. Back in the days, we used to have pension. They all want to have the golden handcuff. And, and so even as a society, in some parts of the US, they don't encourage entrepreneurship. They think, oh, you're going to fail. People don't want it to fail. And they don't want it to lose, but they actually end up losing in the long run. And so, so you see what I'm saying? So that kind of culture, we have to modify. But I am talking about the fertile ground where when it is there, it is so different and so available 
and the ecosystem is alive and well in the US compared to all other places. In all other places, they get more obstacles in terms of setting up a company, in terms of access to successful entrepreneurs, in terms of access to funding, you know, all those things, like, for example, like, you know, let's say we need 10 things for you to be a successful entrepreneur. U.S. Mm -hmm. as a gender, mm -hmm. let's say on an average, has eight things already available. It's just those few things left. But you go to other places outside of the U.S. where entrepreneurship is not there, you only have two, three things. Seven things are not there. Majority of them are not there. I'm just metaphorically speaking. Of I don't course. want the audience to go back and say, hey, tell said eight things. Where are those eight things? You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> the point here is it's readily available. The ecosystem is ready to be tapped. Mm -hmm. and, and that is why I'm saying what I am saying in terms of taking advantage of what it is there. And then the second question I wanted to address there is like somebody working in the, in the garage shop. That's what Walter P. Chrysler did. He was mm -hmm. working in his garage and he created this Chrysler Corporation back in the days, Walter P. Chrysler, right? And same thing with Henry Ford. He was playing around, uh, you know, in his time, you know, the first car came out of Detroit, I mean, for the world, came out of Henry Ford, right? So what I'm trying to say is that was back then 100 years ago. So now go back into 2022, whether somebody in the garage or somebody in a digital lab, wherever they are, figure out what is the problem as a society that we have and where the market is and time those ideas and come up with a solution that will end of the day will benefit the people. So, so whatever areas one is working on, that's where they should begin unless they I have an idea coming from somebody else. I love that. So, and I want to click on that a little deeper because um, there's a lot of ideas out there and some of them are really, really good. Some of them not ready yet. If there's a listener here that has an idea, what would be the litmus test from you on whether it's time to take that idea seriously and actually go put some time and energy and effort into it? Yeah. So depending on the type of idea, if it is a product or whatever it is, I would just do... If it is, if it is, let's say a software, we do a mock-up, right? Without spending a lot of money, just a digital mock-up, show it to people, show it to three or four subject matter experts in the area and see what they have to say. And then mm -hmm. talk to some people who could be a possible consumer. Hey, if I were to give this to you, do you, it, do you think it will solve your problem? Hey, and then how much are you willing to pay? Ask these guys, don't throw all your money into it, just test it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you see some traction, then what? Wow, then there is then take the baby step. Then next valid verify and validate your idea before you start throwing a lot of your time, money, and energy. You know, don't get obsessed with the idea. You should, but that comes later on. When you start an idea, don't get obsessed. Obsess more about whether this has some legs to stand and then try to verify and validate. And then that is by doing with, with, the, with the subject matter experts. And then even consumers have no idea, get some unbiased, I would call them a blind test. Do some blind test and see, uh, don't talk to your uncle and dad and mommy and wife and because they're gonna say it's gonna work. Talk to somebody who is unbiased and, and then they will tell you the truth. And then based on that, you keep going. 
Yeah, there's two principles that I you just talked about that I want to introduce just a different language a little bit. One is um, the idea of the lock and the key. Are you familiar with that illustration? Yes, yes. The lock and the key. A lot of times people want to spend a lot of time in the basement, in their garage or whatever, in their shop, and they want to create a key. And they create this magical key, and then they want to go out into the market and sell it. But they haven't spent any time trying to understand the lock. Yes. And you can have wonderful keys, but if it doesn't fit the lock, really you're not solving a problem and, and very few people are going to pay for it. So spend time getting to know the lock, understand, and this is the kind of the second principle, own the problem, not the solution. Yes. Get passionate about the problem yes. rather than passionate about your idea. And yes. let that be the drive. Those are two things that you said. And just, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to kind of reemphasize those. No, I think you're absolutely right, uh, uh, you know, Greg, right? Yeah, so 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 people keep chasing them, right? And without without knowing uh, where the lock is, I would call that a market fit. Without knowing the market fit, and your lock is the market fit, and there is, there is no market fit, you can keep your key all day long. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I got yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that's so, a uh, great way to close it out. Yes. So you're you're in the innovation space and innovation is typically very costly, right? So you yes. have to do a lot of trials and error to figure out what works. And a lot of businesses don't have the bandwidth or the capacity to take that much risk. So I'm curious, how have you approached innovation that has allowed you to become successful? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. Uh, let's address why those companies don't want it to do because as the company is getting bigger and bigger, they don't innovate, uh, Greg. They mm -hmm. lose their innovation. They become risk averse. When you're becoming risk averse, what does that mean? You're not going to disrupt and you're not going to innovate. And if you look mm -hmm. at all the innovators, they're all guys in, in, a, in a basement, guys in a garage shop. They are the disruptors and innovators, not somebody sitting in a, within a glass ceiling, suited and booted. Have you ever seen them guys uh, innovating or disrupting anything? No. Why? They're comfortable. Because yes. they're comfortable and their processes and their everything's been kind of affirmed, right? And yes. they're now in a space where how do we improve efficiency rather than improving the way we do something? Yes, yeah. So that is why you don't see. So it's not lack of money, Greg. I mean, look at all the major corporations. It's not the lack of money because they have boatloads of money. But inherently, as they become bigger and bigger with all the silos in a major corporation, they cannot do it. So what I try to do, that's why I, I moved away from the corporate mindset into more like an entrepreneurial mindset, which is very different. And then I go, and then from the entrepreneurial mindset, I go into a startup mindset, meaning that you have nothing and you're starting from scratch. And then the ideas come and you go and test it out and then you keep trying. I mean, right now my hit rate, I would say I'm 60 to 70% of things that I do works. Uh, 30 to 40% don't work, it fails. Even after being in this game for so long, uh, because that's the way it works. I mean, like look at Tom, Thomas Alva Edison. I mean, he had, 10,000 tries before you would come up with a bulb. I mean, you know what I mean? So had he stopped at 9,999, nine, uh, 9, you wouldn't have, a, you and I wouldn't be doing a Zoom call right now. Uh, and so so that's what I keep telling entrepreneurs. And that is what I try to do, Greg, is to keep on trying 
um, and then some some are very impulsive and some are not. Uh, some are logical, some are illogical, uh, but uh, but that's the way entrepreneurship works. It's not a truly an, a logical process and a yeah. rational thinking process because yeah. you know if that is the case, Greg, every professor at every major business school would be a billionaire and would be a multi-billion dollars entrepreneur and they are not because they can only teach, but they cannot actually do it because they are afraid to make those trials and tribulations to innovate and disrupt the marketplace. Yeah, there's a few things. I wanna connect a few things you just said there because we've talked a lot about risk. You talked about risk, um, you knew the, the risk mindset outside of the US. Uh, versus risk mindset inside the U.S. and I and and I think that was just um, um, a frame, right? There are some places around the world that do take risks. U.S. is not the only one, but there's a there's a risk mindset, and then there's actually uh, in entrepreneurism, in startups, in innovation, you have to embrace risk. But you also talked about doing it, take the least amount of risk possible, keep your risk low, draw yes. a mock-up get some credible, credible feedback, go through, uh, go through the process. And, and what I've experienced, because you've done very much the same way you're talking about, is you come up with a concept, an idea that could potentially solve a problem. You, you, you put low investment, low risk into it. You get it verified, you get feedback, and then you go and do it again, and you take a little bit of a bigger risk. And so each iteration, there is risk, but you've built some confidence up yes. based on the previous risks you've taken and the affirmations yes. and the lessons you've learned. And that begins, like you said, the snowball effect. It starts off very, very small, hard to see. And then eventually you get to something, okay, you, your confidence is built. I've got somebody willing to give me money. I'm making the cash register ring, right? Cash register is ringing. I can do it more. Who else can I add to this? Well, I need to make an investment to market it, okay? Well, let's make an investment and see how it works. Small investment. Then you can prove that out and you can know next investment, I can make it bigger because here's the outcome that's gonna come there. So it's not risk for risk's sake, it's sizing the risk at the state for the stage you're at is really what I wanted to say. Oh, sizing the risk said, the actually, stage Yes, yes. You really sized well what I just said, uh, Greg. I really like your sizing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, what I wanted to do, so first of all, phenomenal. And, and if you're a listener and you've been wondering, should I go and step out? And I would just say, and I think tell you, if you have an idea that you feel strongly about that's going to solve a problem, um, take, a, take a small risk. Yes. Don't quit your day job. You know, don't put your family, your know, finances on the line. But you can take some of that marginal time that maybe you're using to scroll Facebook or to uh, watch streaming TV, and you can take a few hours a night and draw something up, right? You can yeah. choose to put your time in a different place and see where it goes. Yeah. And see I mean, I mean put it bluntly, stop doing some stupid stuff and do some good stuff for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you said that. I love it. Yeah, no, no, but you know, don't tell me you, you ain't got time because you do, because I do. I, if I yeah. check your Instagram scrolling, I can tell you, I can save you two hours a day for you. <laughs> there you go. Um, what I'd like to do here, Tell, is I'd like to kind of understand how you structure your day or, you know, it, what are the things that you do on an individual level 
to stay adaptive. And what we mean adaptive is we're talking about being agile to the market, being resilient to, to the market, to the things that come at you. Do you have any regular consistent practices to help keep your mindset um, adaptive? Yeah. Yeah. So from a, from a, uh, it's, a, it's almost like a four wheels of a car, uh, Greg, uh, you know, all of them have to be aligned. If all mm -hmm. the four wheels in your car are not aligned, you're going to be in the shop trying to get it aligned. Same thing in, in your mind, in your body, everything. You got to have your spiritual alignment in place. You got to have your physical, you got to have your psychological, and you got to have your financial alignment. All of them have to work in together for you to be operating at a full efficiency. So, so that's what I do. How do I do that? I do yoga. So I get my physical alignment on a daily basis. I also do meditation. So I, I, when I do meditation, it helps to uh, calm my mind down. And so I'm always, you know, uh, in, a, in a conscious state, make those any decisions. And then I also make sure that I, you know, eat, eat right and think right is really what I follow. Because I'm a firm believer, Greg, you know, you become what you eat. You become what you think, right? Mm -hmm. For example, you eat chicken, two days later, that chicken becomes you. And then <laughs> you eat steak, those steak becomes you. But if you eat spinach, the spinach becomes you. So, so they all, uh, see, end of the day, uh, uh, Greg, we are a simply a chemical factory and we are an electrical plant because mm -hmm. we do generate power within us. And, and, and so, so more than the time over the years, what I have learned, Greg, is that, yeah, time is there, but if the energy is not there, what good is the time? But I have a lot of energy, but I have limited time. But with that energy, time don't matter to me. And so, so to get into that space, I do all these things to keep me aligned and keep me positive, energetic, and inspired mm -hmm. within that allow me to do whatever I'm doing now. And if I look back, you know, 20 years ago, when I was in the corporate environment, I used to complain, oh, my God, I'm putting eight hours. I got to get out. When am I going to get out of this company? So, you know, but now I'm working 12, 14, 16 hours. I don't, I don't even feel tired. First of all, I'm doing it for myself and I'm enjoying it. And work becomes fun, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so mm -hmm. for me to be in that state, it has to be truly rewarding in many different dimensions, not just financial, because uh, let's face it, Greg, after a while, let's say you make like 100,000, even $150,000, the incremental amount of happiness you get in your life is, is almost diminished, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you can make more and more money. Some of those people are depressed, right? Because, you know, money, success is, you, you get what I call a success depression. So what I consciously have done, I avoided myself not to get into that kind of a mode, but try to keep me in the right frame of mind all the time by really focused on, you know, doing something great, not only for the business, the people, the team that is involved with, but also the community at large. So I try to do some give back and I try to focus more at this point in my life. I'm trying to focus more on impact and leaving a legacy behind 
uh, on, on one side, but the other high, other side, more economic development, pursuing new ideas, like film mm. business. I have no clue, but I got them in there. Whatever I learned in one business and I'm applying there, that's why I call a serial entrepreneur is really you take the, the framework, what you learned in one industry and apply and then modify based on that industry and the trends. And then you adapt, you know, you have the adaptive executive and that's what I've been adapting all these years is to constantly take the structure, the process and discipline in one uh, industry into another. And then like you asked the question, I'm go coming back and apply to myself at a personal level because you also need to have that, right? At the, the structure, you got to have a structure, you got to have habits. So along with the yoga meditation, Greg, I also do affirmations and manifestations and visualizations. As soon as I wake up, I don't wake up to social media. I wake up to my daily affirmations. When I go to the bed, I keep repeating them. And even before I could go to the 10th one, I'm already knocked out. So I don't even know where I am. So I kind of follow those, uh, you know, to me, uh, those early morning hours, as soon as you wake up, you got to feed yourself mind with the right information. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm good. I have done this. And then, you know, I have my own affirmations that I write them there in a, in a, in a journal every day. And so that's what I do. So that really keeps me centered and stays mm -hmm. away from the, all the other noises that are happening in our society. I love it. I love it, Tell. Would you be, uh, if I could ask you, I'd love to know, do you have a favorite affirmation that you would be willing to share? The favorite, the favorite uh, thing is, is more about on the grateful side. I, I am excellent and I am blessed with everything that I need to be successful in this world. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So that what, what mm. it tells me is that, that I don't feel, so it gives me a lot of confidence. I, I already know that I'm blessed. So whatever I touch is going to work. So I keep telling and then I keep repeating over and over. And so, so jokingly, one of my assistants always say, man, tell whatever you touch us, works, man, touch me, man, so I can become gold. So she used to <laughs> jokingly say that. And, and so that's what I, I believe in that because what happens, uh, uh, Greg, you may know this, you know, we all have a filtering system, right, Greg? So that is why some people are positive, some people are not positive. It's called the reticular activating system in our brain, right? So it, it filters. So, so if you could modify your filtering system on a daily basis through the right affirmation, then your brain and the mind automatically looks for those things. Like if you start so, saying, man, I like a red car, all of a sudden you will see red cars everywhere. But those red cars have been going all along. It's just uh -huh, that you're uh -huh. putting more into it. Similarly, in an entrepreneurial journey as well it applies and it works if you keep on doing it then that's all you will see all the time what the advantage of that greg is even when i'm sleeping the brain is processing all of them and it almost inconceivably it, it does come up with a solution and it, it comes to you is what i've been seeing most of the time it's that's why i said it's illogical because some of them i did not logically conceive but it was illogically mm -hmm, conceived mm -hmm, you see mm -hmm. what i'm saying and because i do the more it happens to me then people will, if i say to go and say to a business school they will say it's always oh, a bunch of baloney tell is talking nonsense he's gone crazy 
but that's what is working for me, Greg. And I'm just sharing with you. When, when I keep doing it over and over, different people come in my life that I never even thought about it. And all on a sudden that turns into an opportunity. So how do you explain that? It's not in my business plan. It was never in my business plan. I love it. So one of the things that you just said there, um, I want to ask a question for our listeners. I ask you a question because I think our, some of our listeners may value get value and insight out of this. When you do your affirmations, do you always feel that way? Or do you allow your affirmation to adjust your, to calibrate your feelings? <laughs> no, right? I, I, emotions. I, the, the reason I mean, is because sometimes um, some folks have a hard time doing an affirmation because, well, if that's not true, I'm not grateful. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm, you know, they're in a state, right? And what I think you're doing is you're using your affirmations to maintain a centered state. And, and I think for our listeners, you use the affirmation, not when you feel it, but when you don't to bring you to what you want. Yes. How would, how would you say that? Yeah. So what happens is it's, it's see, the, your brain doesn't know the difference. What is real and what is not. <laughs> so it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. So what you do is keep on repeating and re repetition, 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 and practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, even though you are, you are, you know, you're faking it, as they say, fake it till you make it. Actually, you are faking it. I mean, if you are, see, if you're not normally predisposed to those, you know, uh, state of mind, by through repetition and practice, you can alter your state of mind. And that's really what I am doing. And then once, I, once I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm on on all the time because the mind doesn't know the difference. Basically, you're reprogramming it, right, Greg? This is a huge lesson. And, and, and I think anyone listening that really wants to work on becoming an adaptive, an adaptive leader, you do need to learn the skill of how to calibrate yourself, how to uh, bring yourself into alignment with where you want to go. And this, what Tell is sharing with us, I think is, is actually central to that. You're absolutely, Greg. I mean, look, I mean, there are already studies out there. You are nothing but the collection of five people that you are surrounding with, right? Right. And so you mm -hmm. tell me the five people that you spend the time with, I can tell you what kind of person you are, right? Wife and three, wife and, and four so kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if it is messed up, then you're messed up. If they are happy and hunky-dory, then your life is hunky-dory. You know what I'm say saying? So yeah. same thing, right? So the what you keep telling is gonna what you're gonna what what you become, and therefore, if you constantly say I'm effed up, I'm effed up, I'm effed up, you're gonna be one. I can guarantee you mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But on the yeah. other hand, I'm gonna take on the world. I am blessed. I'm excellent. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna find a way to make it happen. I'm gonna find the right people, right team. Money will follow. I keep working on the on 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 and stay focused on my problem and try to come up with a solution that will solve the problem, then you're onto something. But if you're not in that mode and constantly be negative and constantly keep saying, I don't have this, I don't have this, you're gonna find hundred things that you don't have it. And what happens is that, you know, we call them in a psychological term, like a confirmation bias, right? 
And then yes. you're going to constantly say, oh, yeah, you see, I said this. You see, I said this. I don't have it. It won't work. It won't work. And then your brain and the subconscious state is going to say, you loser, you loser. You're not going to make it happen. And they get fearful and they don't, mm -hmm. don't get the confidence that they need to be successful. And, and so, entrepreneurship is all about state of mind and you need to have, you need to be highly confident. I agree. Um, before we wrap up, I want to share one thought. And so for our listeners, uh, I, the way I like to frame this until you may be doing it for me, but I, I, I constantly remind myself and affirm to myself that I have everything I need to take the next step. And if I don't think what I need is there, it will arrive by the time my foot lands. And so it's about that incremental thinking. A lot of times people get so, con they wanna see the whole runway, right? They wanna see, they wanna see the result before they've moved and it doesn't work that way. But you can ha you have everything you need to take one step forward. Out of time. In, my, in my opinion, you have everything you need. And if you think there's something missing, either you're wrong or it will be there by the time your foot lands. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Greg. Journey of thousand miles always begins with a single step, right? It does. That's what yes. I'm not saying. Lausu said that several thousand years ago, <laughs> and and Rome was not built in a day, right? Correct. And 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 I, you know, you got to you got to start with the baby steps, and you got to keep going. You can't eat the whole elephant, as as the metaphorically they say. Similarly, same thing in entrepreneurship. You got to take those baby steps. We talked about incremental verification and validation, incremental risk taking, and then be adaptive. Will 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 and then focus on the long term, and then you will prevail. I love it. Uh, tell, is there if people want to follow you, connect with you, or you know reach out to you, where should they go? I'm I'm on all social media channels uh, right now, uh, Greg, except for TikTok because I don't know how to dance. Otherwise, I would be there. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, what else is left? YouTube. Um, so yeah, Telke Ganeshan is my handle at Tel T E L K G A N E S A N, and I do have a website so they can find me uh, on socials. All right, and we'll put those in the show notes. Um, Tell, this has been a fantastic interview. I feel like we could continue going for hours here but we have to wrap it up and and maybe we'll have it back have you back again sometime uh thank you so much for joining us here on the adaptive executive glad to be with you greg i appreciate it thank you for joining us on the adaptive executive podcast we hope you enjoyed the show you can follow us on linkedin and by subscribing to our mailing list again my name is greg ballard and thank you for listening